guys are barrels of fun. And then I just went like total like George Brett Pine Tar. This is section 422. Welcome from the $5 seats. This is the Section 422 podcast, episode number 50. Derek Van Riper here with Will Salmon. On this episode, we will discuss the significantly changed landscape of 2020, first and, and foremost, from just a basic life perspective, before we go on to talk about some of the known impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic on the baseball season. This is going to be a very difficult period for a lot of people, and our hope is that we can talk about the severity of this global health crisis as it pertains to this very small slice of life. Uh, we all use sports as a way to escape various things in our lives, and for people like Will and I, covering baseball is our work. Uh, our hope is that we can continue to provide that escape while we make our best effort to keep our communities healthy in the months ahead. Will, let's uh, let's start with the conference call that went down on Sunday. I mean, since you and I last spoke on this show one week ago, the world has changed considerably. Uh, but David Stearns had a conference call with the media on Sunday. What was his message in the wake of one of the most challenging weeks that many of us have experienced in our lifetimes? It's crazy, right? When you say it's just, it's just been a week because it feels like it's been so much more, but it, but it really has. It's, it was only just a handful of days ago when, like I wrote for The Athletic, Freddie Peralta was on a mound and he was striking guys out and he was competing for a critical spot one way or the other in the Brewers, uh, pitch, on the Brewers pitching staff. But we all knew by, that time, by the time that game ended that there was a decent chance that that would be the last time we saw a baseball game, spring training, or what regardless if it was spring training or not that was probably gonna be the last time we we saw a baseball game for a little while um or maybe a long while for that matter and david stern sort of like reflected that um just just on sunday that was the first time we heard from somebody from the brewers since players spoke on thursday ryan braun was the last to speak to us so it had been a few days since we heard from somebody from the brewers and david stern's really prefaced his conversation with reporters, uh, people who cover the team regularly, only about five or six people were on the call. But he, he started that conversation with the obvious. And before taking any questions, he said this was, you know, this was a time where it's, it's a global health pandemic. It's a public health emergency. He talked about how this is going to be a very trying and challenging time from an economic standpoint. Kids who no longer are going to be going to schools, which provide probably in some cases, uh, the best meals for them, unfortunately. And so with that worldview in the front of our, everybody's minds, people had questions for him, of course, regarding the brewers. Um, and they, they seem trivial, but this is, this is what we do, like you said, Derek, and um, this is what people who kind of click on our podcast sort of want to hear us talk about, um, just to provide some sense of normalcy um, down the road, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. But as it pertained to the team, uh, Stern said that, you know, a third of the major league players have decided to stay in Arizona. And that made sense because a lot of players live in Arizona or at least have a house in Arizona because that's where the spring training facility is. Um, a lot of guys go there in the offseason, uh, do their work there in the offseason now since that place has been renovated. 
they have access to the club's facility. Another third went back to Milwaukee, and another third went home wherever their home may be. If it's not in one of those two other places, uh, the coaching staff all went home. Um, seemed like about half the staff lives in Arizona, along with some minor league coaches and Craig Council, of course, and a couple of other assistants live in Milwaukee. So they were situated uh, to be there, but of course the ML- MLB is uh, getting away from teams having well, organized workouts. But like I said, players still have access to the facility, and that's something that Stern said, of course, too. So that's where they stand as far as where players are. Fortunately, Stern said that nobody uh, tested positive, of course. Uh, nobody has shown symptoms either. So that's all good, of course. And you know, the beyond that, there's going to be a, um, a rigorous deep cleaning stern set at Miller Park and at the Brewers facility in Phoenix. Um, they've actually been doing that for quite a while, but they've definitely increased that, of course, recently in light of everything. So that will be going on too. But the big thing is, is that Stearns, while he was able to provide some sort of information on those type of things, he didn't have answers for the, the, the big picture aspects of it in terms of, okay, when will we, we be seeing the Brewers actually play? When will spring training resume? Um, nobody has answers for that. And David Stearns was certainly asked those questions and even was asked to provide some estimates in some instances just because he's would be an expert on these topics. But he was just in no position to do that, of course. So that's kind of where we stand, Derek, as you know, we don't really have too many answers. Um, the The list of questions is far longer than the list of answers these days. Yeah, I mean, it's almost reckless to speculate because we've never been through anything like this before. Um, I, I think that's just become increasingly clear over the last few days. And I think, you know, what we're starting to see uh, on the coast, in, in bigger cities, even as close as Chicago, obviously in Wisconsin, we have public schools closing. Um, there has been this sort of realization that things are going to shut down eventually. And by things, I mean many of the places you might be able to go uh, on this day. We're recording on on Monday, March 16th. It's about 5 o'clock central time as we get started. Every day, there might be new limitations on where we can gather publicly. And if you haven't really been tracking the news elsewhere, we're headed to only necessary things like grocery stores and pharmacies being open. Um, it creates this extremely challenging situation for small businesses and for their employees. Um, I've seen some stories already about a lot of the people who rely on professional sports for uh, part-time and freelance work. I mean, photographers at games, uh, vendors. I mean, there's there's a wide range of people out there just from baseball alone, aside from players and team personnel who are impacted by this. And then outside of sport, of course, uh, you touched on you know something that Stearns brought up with schools being closed. You know, children in, in public schools often rely on the meals they get at school. Um, so there's definitely an emergency response occurring to try and and bridge those gaps, but it's one of those times where if there's anything any of us are able to do for our community financially uh, or with our time, this is a great time to step up and, uh, and and give resources if you're able to do so. 
uh, because this could be so damaging for a very long period of time. We just we don't know. Um, people ask questions like, "When's spring training going to start? When's the season going to start?" I mean, we don't know. No one, no one knows at this point because a lot hinges on just the next couple of weeks and how much the public listens to messages from the CDC. Uh, you know, if you can get ahead of even being told that you have to stay home, I think you're doing everybody uh, a service in a way. Like you're doing your small part to help reduce the likelihood of, of spreading the virus. I think that's that's become very clear just in the last few days. It, the social distancing, which seems somewhat optional in certain places right now, really shouldn't be optional anymore. Um, so please, please, if you're listening to this and you have any way of staying home more in the indefinite future, do everything in your power to do that. The other thing I would just kind of ask everybody in general is to, to be patient when you go out, when you do get groceries, when you have to go out of the house. We're just in an unprecedented time. And if we can look out for one another, we're going to get through this sooner than if everyone kind of just takes a very selfish approach. Yeah, I, I totally agree with what you said also just about the fact that people are just throwing out some dates. It, it is almost reckless uh, just to say like, oh, hey, you know, I've, I've heard this or I've heard that at this point just because it's almost like, you know, the people who make these decisions don't know yet. <laughs> I mean, so it's like it, it's it's just... We're not there yet at all whatsoever. We're not even close to that, I feel like. So, again, it's it's one of those things where you just have to be – it's it's anything where you have to be patient with, with pretty much everything um, and just have to operate differently than, than you ever had before probably. As far as the trivial details, I mean, people are going to probably ask questions in the weeks ahead. Well, what does this mean for Luis Urias? What does this mean for Corey Knable? What does this mean for – Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns and Eric Lauer as they compete for the fifth starter job. It's it's all just on hold. Um, you know, in the case of injured players, it's just time to heal from injuries. I mean, that's that's where things stand. There, we we don't know what kind of progress they're going to make because we don't know when they're going to be able to resume. You know, full workouts. That's just sort of the the lay of the land on that front. But I do think the the value we can provide in these times is to kind of look back at players of the past, teams of the past, things that have brought us joy and and to try and work through this together, right? Like if we can if we can be an escape from a much more challenging day-to-day life for the next few months, then I think we're doing something right. Um, so to that end, if you have questions or topics or or things you'd just like us to discuss, on this show, we're all ears. You can find us on Twitter. He's at Will Salmon. Uh, it's Salmon with two M's. There's no L. It's not like Tim Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper. Uh, we did get some questions for this week's episode. And, and Will, I mean, you and I are still you know, a new pairing on this show. So we'll have some opportunities here to kind of get to know each other a bit uh, in the weeks and probably months ahead. So uh, Adam Rigg, who jumped in on some shows back during the winter at Brewer Nation on Twitter, always a great follow as well. Send us a, a bunch of different questions. A lot of them are, are lighthearted in nature. We're going to save a couple of them probably for some future episodes. Uh, well, let's do some get-to-know-your-host stuff, though. Like The first question from Adam, or one of the questions from Adam, is, Will, are you left or right-handed? And that just made me wonder, you know, what does it say on the back of your baseball card if you have one, Will? Like, What, what, are, you, what are your stats? 
<laughs> yeah, let's we'll start with uh, the, the vitals here. Right-handed. I don't, you know, I, I'm like heavy into meditation actually. So a lot of times people advise you in, in those sort of circles to do things with your opposite hand to kind of feel a little bit more, I don't know, intuitive and just more alert and more present with where you are. So I've been doing more things left-handed than usual over the past few months, but it hasn't really gone the way that I would have liked it to have in, in certain instances, you know, dropping things and, and not being able to open doors properly and looking awkward. So uh, strictly right-handed. Um, I didn't, did you, did you play a lot growing up, Derek? Cause I, I stopped playing in high school. I wasn't good. You know, I was really, really good up until high school. Um, because I was a little bit bigger than everybody at first. I started school late, and so I basically cheated. And I was more or less at least a few months older than most people, um, and then in certain instances almost close to a full year. So I had a huge advantage because when you look at like Little League players and even in middle school, there's a huge difference between like a 12-year-old and an 11-year-old in baseball. Huge difference. Same thing. You go up and down up until about high school, and then everybody starts to catch up more or less, um, especially toward the end. And that's when everybody caught up to me, and I was not nearly as good as I was. <laughs> and so, like, that's kind of like where things halted because I was like super. I was uh, I was pretty good, man. Like, I had like if if my baseball card, the front of it looked nice because tops would have like went all out. Like they would have like done like the holograph stuff and everything for a little while. Um, but it would have taught, it would have taken a dark turn pretty quickly. Yeah. So I, I also throw right-handed. I hit right-handed too. Do you hit right-handed? Yeah. Yeah, I do. All right. So bats, bats, right throws, right. For those of you, uh, curious, I mean, I, I stopped playing baseball in seventh grade. Uh, my family moved from West Michigan to the Chicago suburbs for a year. And that move sort of like changed the economics of what it costs to have me play little league. Like it was really like a, a difference of parks and rec had a nice little league where I grew up where we moved to. It was kind of like you play travel ball or you don't play. And my parents were like, no, we're not, we're not doing the travel ball thing. I have a couple younger siblings and uh, it, that's when my baseball dreams sort of changed. Uh, I played soccer and tennis, played other sports too. So I kept playing those. And I think as a player, I was probably just the kind of player who would, I don't know, kind of be like a glue guy. Like if, if I had tried to imagine like what my role would be on a big league team, you know, it's, it's the guy that comes in and, and takes a good at bat, doesn't have like overwhelming power, certainly doesn't have overwhelming speed. Maybe my softball game as I've grown up is, is opposite field power, which is probably the result of playing tennis. Like I have this ability to kind of keep my hands in and just barrel things out and kind of smoke the ball out to, to right center field, but it's it's not like ridiculous power. It's usually just hit it over someone's head and maybe maybe if I'm lucky get a triple, but probably just be like a doubles machine sort of player, which you know it's a solid player. So is your comp like Brock Holt? Yeah, probably um, with less defensive versatility. <laughs> so you don't have the so, so you don't have the versatility then. So you don't you don't have the Brock Holt comp then. You got you got to have the versatility to. To be in that conversation. Yeah, I was thinking of like Hernan Perez on last year's team. Like, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm not as versatile. Like that, that's that's not where I'm at. Like, is there even a 
a veteran, like right-handed hitting first base left field only type player in the game who is is just a good enough clubhouse guy to stick on a roster like probably yeah, not sorry, sorry to tell you man i think those guys get cut these days <laughs> pretty quickly <laughs> those guys are, are riding buses at double a for a while and they decide like well this this probably isn't my calling uh yeah. yeah those guys get some extended stays sometimes in spring training so they could eat innings like late in games so you have that going for you if you want it yeah, so I, I pitched a little bit in Little League when I was like 11, and I wasn't good at that. I didn't really have command, didn't have a good fastball, couldn't throw breaking pitches. I was just a duck out there. Like I, I, was, I was throwing BP to the other kids. <laughs> it was, I, I should not have been pitching at all. Um, but yeah, I, I, could, I could play pretty good defense. I mean, at first base, maybe at second base when I was younger. But I think even now, like if we, if we went and played a game and they said, hey, why don't you go play shortstop? Anything on the ground with any sort of pace, I'm sure I'd boot it. I'm, I'm sure I would. <laughs> no, I was I was actually a pretty slick fielder. You know, my my probably like what I'm most remembered in little league circles. I, I grew up in New York City, so my childhood idols were some of the more like let's say reckless types of behavior um as far as sports go (laughs) like you just grow up rooting for some really interesting characters and you sort of try to emulate them sometimes when you probably shouldn't and so like my one of my biggest things was i actually got thrown out of a game when i was uh about 11 or 12 um I blew, I was going, I was um, turning third base. I was running, turning the corner there, trying to score. Third base coach holds me up, um, and a ball comes in from the outfield. Catcher gets it. I'm, the, the catcher has the ball, um, and I'm not even like halfway down the line yet. Um, so it was, I was clearly just blew the, stop, blew the stop sign, was totally selfish, no surprise there, and just decided to just go um, on my own, just completely ignore it. And I knew that the catcher had the ball already so of course you know what do you what do you think about doing as a as a 12 year old um after watching baseball all the time you think about barreling the poor catcher of course right um because that makes sense and so i decided to do that and i jarred the ball loose actually so i was super happy for a few seconds ran back touched home plate pretended like i was like some 35 year old in the world series or something <laughs> um you know I, I everything worked out in in those three seconds i was it was like blissful. Um, but then the umpire calls me out and then he says, you're not only out, you're out of the game. And then I just went like total, like George Brett pine tar. And I went completely ballistic and we'll save the details. I uh, don't, don't want to get myself in further in trouble here, but, um, I, let's put it this way. I do sometimes think about calling that umpire and apologizing. It was that bad. Um, and so I have the distinction, Derek, of being suspended from a Catholic youth organization baseball team for a total of two games and the second game of a doubleheader. So that's probably what I'm best known for in little league circles in Queens, New York. That's probably in a folder somewhere. Like there's some kind of permanent record that has that noted on it. There probably should be. I'm afraid to even like talk about it because you never know. <laughs> get blackballed from the, from the Catholic Youth Organization. That's really hard to get kicked out of a game but when you're in Little League. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer 
complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy can ship your medication to you with free two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or want to adjust your treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash Brewers for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Let's talk about another question that came in from Adam. Uh, he was curious, what would we name the Brewers restaurant to be named later, which used to be the Friday's Front Row Grill? Um, and there's some news to pass along with this part of the show. Uh, the restaurant is actually going to temporarily close beginning the night we're recording this, Monday night at 9 o'clock for um, public health safety reasons. So just a, a heads up, if you were thinking about getting over there this week, it won't be open indefinitely. Uh, but if you were going to rename that restaurant, what would you name it? You know, that was such a hard question for me just because I, I really like that name. I think it's, it's I think it's actually pretty cool. It's, it's pretty... Uh, it's pretty unique too. Like I've never heard that used, and it's such a such a baseball thing. And you would think that it would almost be overused in certain instances. And maybe I'm just missing it. Maybe I'm just completely oblivious. That could happen. Um, there's a decent chance of that. But I'm like that. I saw that, and I was like, oh, you know, that's that's pretty fun. And then the video was actually pretty cool. You know, I really liked actually the the work that the Brewers uh, social media team does. I think they're pretty good uh, i think they come up with some really creative ideas and that video uh was was certainly one of them where they introduced the um the name of the restaurant i'm i'm hard pressed to come up with something do you do you have something that that came to mind when you saw that question because i was drawing blanks to be quite to be quite honest with you so i was thinking a lot about bernie's slide because bernie's slide of course is up yeah. higher in that section of the stadium i thought maybe the slide in would be a good name for it yeah, that could be good. I was thinking about something with Bernie too, but it was it was too cheesy. You know, I was thinking I was going with like the alliteration because you could do some stuff there, but it's so obvious and like I wouldn't even like walk into the restaurant if it was called something like what I'm thinking of. So, <laughs> <laughs> so like nah, uh, but the, the sliding could be good. I, I could I could probably go in there. The slide in just sounds like a bar that would be on a corner somewhere in Milwaukee probably is one i would go into the restaurant to be named later though like that's i feel like that's i just i'm giving the i'm giving the brewers way too much credit already during this episode but i i really i really like that name they did do a good job with that video in all fairness i think it helps having uke to work with yeah <laughs> i think he could make uh if you if you wrote a, a bad script you would make it a good script just on his own that's just says a lot about you know, yeah, who he, he is and his carry talent. a few actors too <laughs> yeah but they've they have done great work with that account over the last couple of years, the players, the Sandlot stuff, uh, Brent Suter and Jeremy Jeffress doing the uh, Dumb and Dumber with the bullpen cart. That was that was pretty good as well. Uh, one last question from Adam for this week. Definitely another lighthearted one. Uh, what sausage would you add to the famous sausage race? Of course, the five sausages, brat, Polish, Italian, hot dog, and chorizo are the five that we see out there all the time. Uh, Will, before we started recording, you had an interesting idea that I hadn't even really thought about. Uh, so I'm curious to know if that's your your nomination for sausage number six. Yeah, the corn dog. I'm going. I'm going with the corn dog. If there's a hot dog, there should be a corn dog. I'm trying to remember the last time I even 
had a corn dog. I mean, I don't want to eat one. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely don't want to eat one. <laughs> but I but I want to see it show it in the race. I want to see I want to see I want to see that fairness on on the field. I don't even know if I want a corn dog in a state fair situation. I mean, there's plenty of other bread and fried stuff there. And yeah, you want to stay completely away from the corn dog. That's beside the point. <laughs> yeah. But you definitely want the participation there. Yeah, I, I think I think the corn dog's a nice nominee. It'd be interesting if they ever added a sixth sausage, if they would just rotate the spot. I thought about the sausages around Milwaukee uh, that I like the most, and there used to be this, this butcher, uh, Domchek's was the name of it. I think it's in the Oak Creek area. And the Hungarian sausage they had there was excellent, but Hungarian sausage is not a well-known sausage, so that's not going to get it done. Um, but the two sausages that I came up with that I thought were worth considering, uh, pepperoni, which is technically a sausage, and I'm 99% sure was created in America, not in Italy. Uh, but then there's also andouille, which of course is the sausage, I think more properly pronounced andouille, uh, you know, the French-type sausage that you're going to find in like jambalaya. So I think those are probably the candidates, corn dog, pepperoni, and andouille. Uh, but I would be all for some kind of rotation. I think based on popularity and likelihood of it being served at a ballpark, corn dog is probably the front runner to get that spot if it becomes a full-time vacancy that is filled. Where you are in the, in the country matters too. Re- regions play a big part of this. If we were in Louisiana, somewhere like that, this would be a totally different conversation. But I just feel like Midwest, man, it has it has to be the corn dog has to get involved somehow. No, I, I think I think you're correct. I think the corn dog would be uh, the selection there. So at least that's going to be the the podcast selection. Even if you and I are split on that, thank you for the the questions, Adam. Uh, Tweety McTweeterson wrote in. Uh, Tweety wants to know what are the five best offensive seasons in Brewers history, excluding the last two Christian Yelich years. I looked back, I, I pulled up the Fangraphs leaderboard and said, okay, let, let's let's take a look. And I, I think the best way to look at historical offensive production is to use a stat called WRC+. I've mentioned it on the podcast before. Uh, it's an indexed weighted runs created stat. And really, the reason I like it is because it makes it easier to compare overall offensive value in very different eras or seasons. Uh, so you, you, you basically get to adjust everything for league and in part context and then you can kind of compare apples to oranges a bit more easily because you know seasons that happen in the 60s and 70s and 80s even the 90s compared to what we're seeing right now are very different so the list doesn't surprise me too much just the names on it at least uh, but Yelich's seasons by the way his two seasons in Milwaukee are the first and third best season all time in Brewers history in terms of WRC+. plus, His 2019 season was actually better than his 2018 season. Now, the second best season in Brewers history belongs to Ryan Braun. It was his 2011 season. He had a 171 WRC+, plus, which means he was 71% better than a league average hitter during that season. And those numbers included a 332 average, a 397 OBP, 33 homers, 33 steals, 111 RBIs and 109 runs scored, and that was in 150 games. And if you think, wow, that slash line sounds familiar, it's because it's a lot of what we saw from Yelich last year, except for Yelich went 329, 429, 671. That 671 slugging percentage from Yelich last year, 
no one's touching that in franchise history, not even like the peak Prince Fielder years. So you took that to look at individuals. I actually took that question and I thought about seasons. Like the, I thought about like team seasons, um, excluding the years that Yelich has been on the team. That's the way I interpreted it. So I'm glad we looked at it a little bit differently because that, that could be kind of fun. I actually first looked at it at the individual level and I saw and I saw the names that you mentioned and I saw a couple of others. But then I was then I was like, OK, maybe he means team. And since we have time, I figured, OK, I'll just look at both. <laughs> and so, you know, I kind of found a, I found two things pretty interesting, actually, when I looked at both. One, 1996 for the Brewers has has the uh, best OPS most runs scored, I believe, too, and they were a 500 team. And so you ask yourself, like, well, how could that how could that be possible? One thing was, okay, they played in um, the same division that year as the, Cle- the Cleveland Indians, who had pretty much an all-star lineup. And also the White Sox had a pretty good year that year, too. And then secondly, the Brewers pitching staff was absolutely horrendous that season. And um, there was a, there's a few guys who had some good seasons with the Brewers back in the day. And so I'm not going to completely uh, pick on them, but you had a couple that season that just, it, let's just put it this way. It was not uh, Jeff D'Amico's year um, that year. He had, a, he had a year. He had a year for the Brewers. It was not 1996, put it that way. Um, and so from the season perspective, that was, that was interesting to look at um, and to kind of understand the context and, and how they could be a uh, 500 ball club with uh, those numbers and those statistics. And then the other thing, when I looked at players, uh, Derek, and I looked at the top seasons, uh, Tommy Harper, a name that people don't often associate with greatness in the Brewers, but 1970, uh, 30, 31 home runs and 38 stolen ba- stolen bases, uh, 296, 377, 522 uh, slash line. And I believe he was the first Brewers all-star. And so... Uh, that's a high war total as well for that season. I believe it's top five. So that answers the question, especially when you exclude Yelich, um, particularly for offensive uh, war. So that was a name that, uh, you know, if you, if you ask on the trivia to name the five, that's probably the one that people either get because they know it's it's one of those weirder ones or they completely miss because they have no clue. Yeah if, yeah, if you change the way it's measured, for sure, there's a few different answers you can come up with. But Tommy Harper is one of those guys who came up a lot higher on the WRC Plus leaderboard, too, than, than I would have expected. 31 homers, 38 steals that year. A nice low 15.5% strikeout rate. Drew a lot of walks as well. Uh, the leaderboard, just with the WRC Plus that I mentioned, you know, Yelich having the first and third best seasons, Braun being second. Uh, Paul Molitor has the fourth best season. That was 1987. He had a 165 WRC Plus. That was a 16-homer, 45-steal season in which he walked more than he struck out. That's pretty good. He hit 353 that year with a 433 on base. Uh, Sixto Liscano actually has uh, a season that's near the top of the list. 1979, it's the fifth-best offensive season in Brewers history in terms of WRC+. Third-best if you take the Yelich seasons out. Uh, that was another season. Again, more walks than strikeouts. Great slash line, 321, 414, 573, 28 home runs back in 1979. Not surprisingly, Robin Yount appears on this list. 164 WRC Plus, that was in 1982, which I think in terms of team WRC Plus was the best Brewers offense in franchise history. Uh, Not surprised to see that at all. But yeah, that was actually the absolute best 
team at WRC Plus the Brewers have ever posted. Interesting that with the success this team has had in recent years, the best overall offensive teams they had were all kind of concentrated from 1978 to 1983. Those were the six best teams uh, in terms of WRC+. Plus. Uh, the final season in the top five, if you take out Yelich, belongs to Prince Fielder. That was from Fielder in 2009. It was 161 WRC+, plus, 46 home runs, 719 plate appearances that season. That's one of the highest totals on the leaderboard. I think Paul Molitor has at least one season in which he had more plate appearances than Prince did in 2009. Uh, but I think the thing that always sticks with me with Prince Fielder is that he wasn't just a big power guy who struck out a lot. Like He was not the same player his dad was. He had a great hit tool for a power hitter of that caliber. A 19.2% strikeout rate on a 46 home run season is really impressive. Uh, of course, Prince's overall value came down because of his limitations defensively at first base, but that was actually the Fifth best season when you take out the Yelich seasons, and uh, seventh best if you include Yelich uh, as far as like Brewers overall output. Braun's got another season inside the top 10. Fielder's got another season. He's got the seventh and eighth best seasons on there, and the 11th too, if you get a little further down. Some other interesting names that made the list are our guys we're going to talk about in future episodes, because as you mentioned, we've got some time. We're going to look back at some really fun players in Brewers history, possibly some overlooked players. Uh, but if you got questions for us, if you got topics you want us to get to on a future episode, send them our way. You can find Will on Twitter at Will Salmon. I'm at Derek Van Riper. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic and you want to check out uh, all of our written content, there's going to be a lot of that coming out even while sports are, are on hold for a while. Theathletic.com slash 422 will get you 40% off a subscription. If you enjoy this pod, you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or any platform that allows you to rate and review it, please take a moment to do that. We'd greatly appreciate it. For Will Salmon, I'm Derek Van Riper. Thanks for listening. Stay safe out there. We're back with you next week from Section 422.